Welcome to the Michael Yu Podcast. We have a very special mini guest today. We're doing our Oakland Book Club uh, here at my uh, at the beautiful uh, Michael Yu Podcast Studios in my house <laughs> in the in the office. So we have a really really special uh, podcast today. We're um, we're doing book club, so we're just going to do it as though you guys were flying the wall. So I can explain a little bit about book club and why we started book club. So Oakland Book Club is uh, for us uh, real estate nerds that love real estate and business and and all that kind of stuff. So uh, today we have uh, some amazing people that we are going to share. So we always start book club by doing an icebreaker. So um, why don't we go around? We're going to introduce ourselves as though we were talking to our very best client. And then we're going to tell maybe just 10 second bio on yourself. And then we're going to um, uh, say what our favorite book was. Hi, this is uh, Benjamin Loyal of Oakland Encore, of right. beautiful Tri-Cities. We are operating out there now. Yeah. Um, quick bio, I'm pretty new to the industry, about nine months in as far as real estate goes. Um, getting my feet wet, book club, probably my favorite part of Oakland so far. And favorite book, yeah. like all time ever? All time. Oh, it's got to be time. Moby Dick, hands down. If you ever want to know way too much about whaling and processing whaling fat to get to perfume, read the unabridged version. It's not just about Captain Ahab. <laughs> Amazing. Great. I'm Keith Wintermans with Oakland Realty, and uh, I enjoy Book Club as well. My favorite uh, book for context uh, at the moment was Story Brand by Donald Miller. Great. And we did that last a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. I am Christian Butzek, and actually I just joined Oakland today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Welcome, Christian. And, Trial uh, by a fire. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Looking, yeah. Looking forward to it for sure. And my favorite uh, personal development book would be The Science of Getting Rich. And I really like that book because it makes it it, it kind of explains how your thinking creates your outer world. So that's that's my favorite develop personal development book. Hey, it's Jenny Woon, and I would probably have to say my favorite book is The 4-Hour Work Week because mm-hmm. it's just efficient, and you get more time to enjoy yourself. Hello, I'm Guy Christie, and uh, I've lived in Vancouver my whole life, and uh, enjoying being a realtor with Oakland. And uh, my favorite book, I've got a lot, but it's probably The Power of Now is the one that I just keep coming back to. Yeah, I've got that on audiobook as well as a regular book, and I reread it all the time. Fantastic. Guy, you got a smooth, silky voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say, I was like, whoa, bro. Yeah. <laughs> um, my name is Amanda Lehman Choi, and I actually work for Oakwin, um, not as an agent, but um, I do marketing and events and things like that. And, you know, I'm also the producer of the Michael Yu podcast um and my favorite book for personal development um I'm more of a fiction reader myself to be honest but um I think one that I really 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 took a lot from is I actually was one of the um book club books but I'd read it beforehand my dad recommended it to me but seven habits Mm -hmm. highly effective people that is a that's a good one I read that every year and I'm Michael Yu and I'm uh, one of the realtors and staff at Oakwind as well, and my favorite book um, is probably Ender's Game by uh, uh, or Scott Orson Card. It's a sci-fi novel. It's really cool. But so, okay, guys, let's just do it popcorn style. So, like, so if you if you guys have a response, just grab the mic and you can chime in. Um, so, just 
First impressions. First impressions of Good to Great by Jim Collins. Anyone? I'll jump on there. Yeah. Um, right. Obviously, when we met last time at book club, this one came up as like, oh, it's a pretty big book. I'm going to have to take some time to dig into it. And right. I'd never heard of it before. And going into any sort of book, like I like to have sort of at least a couple takeaways. And this one definitely had a few things that have just stuck with me for like days now that I just can't get out of my mind. I'm sure we'll dig into them later. But right. Um, that whole, what is it, uh, stock, Stockdale Paradox? Yeah, the Stockdale Paradox. I, I think about that constantly now. It just hits home so much for me. And then um, later on in the book, like the flywheel. The flywheel, that, yeah. Like those two things, I mean, if you're going to pick a book and get something out of it, there's two key things in this that are just amazing. Well worth the read for that. That's really interesting, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, like yourself, I this is the second time actually I read the book. And the first time I read it, I had that same feeling. Like I was blown away by it. I thought, this is this is the playbook for great, great companies like Starbucks, Nike. Right. And because he lays it out really simply, you know, the six, the six qualities, the six steps that these companies follow to reach breakthrough. And I mean, it was pretty exhaustive research they did, right? I think it was 15 grad students on his team over five years and they combed through something like 2,000 companies. Right. So it was really, really thoroughly done. And the, the first couple of things that really, the, the impression that really stuck with me was actually on the, on the people section, which is level five leaders um, and, and uh, getting the right people on the bus. And, and the reason why that really kind of grabbed me was, you know, I had that impression earlier in my life that like, you needed a big charismatic personality guy to come in, like Lee Iacocca is the guy I mentioned in the book. Right. And actually, when they dug deep, it was the quiet, reserved, resolute um, leaders were in charge of these companies. And, mm -hmm. and, and they were almost kind of standing in the background. So that was really, uh, that was a sort of the very first impression. That's also the very first part of the book. So that's what, uh, what grabbed me. Yeah. My biggest takeaway was um, the section where they talk about building a culture that's around freedom and responsibility within the framework. So when you actually have discipline and like thought process and action, you don't really need hierarchy. Um, you know, there's always a new leader. But if you empower people to work in the organization, they have a sense of belonging and they have a sense of responsibility to the company. So even with their work ethic and their ethic of entrepreneurship uh, within themselves, you're going to get optimized. You're going to you're going to get um, the guys who will want to work hard, who want to be there, who want to optimize their performance, and so they're going to do their best every day when they show up. So uh, I just realized I'd be here yesterday, so I've only read like two chapters. So what, what struck me was, uh, right at the beginning, was these, these great companies that um, are really a result of these individuals who are, they're not driven by ego or any personal mm -hmm. desire, uh, but they're, they're driven by a higher vision, and they're driven by... Um, by bringing their whole team towards this vision. And, you know, when things are, are going well, they kind of defer it to their team and they say, it's you know, it's all because of them or the people that are around them. And when things are going wrong, they take full responsibility for it. And that really, you know, struck a chord with me. And I think that we can all kind of take a, a page from that book. Right. 
What do you think, Keith? I really liked each section. Um, the idea of level five leadership was probably the most difficult for me to understand on a personal level, but I clearly see the benefit of it. But the idea of first who, then when, mm -hmm. I really like. I've been a part of different businesses with the wrong people on the bus. Right. Um, and the idea that first gaining access to great people and then deciding for what uh, that your company or your enterprise is going to do is fantastic. Confronting the brutal facts um, quickly, I think, is, is great on the way uh, they talk a lot about, or he talks a lot about, uh, driving for true understanding and creating what he described as the hedgehog concept. Um, <clears throat> I see a little bit of Fox characteristics in myself of jumping around, looking at different, uh, all the new fads and different things, and the idea of creating a consistent core hedgehog uh, concept for a business, and then having the disciplined thought with the self-driven people, disciplined people, taking disciplined action all around a truly well-crafted hedgehog concept um, with the ideas that you could be the best in the world at it. Um, also, it fits uh, an economic denominator financially, it makes sense, as well as you as a company or the people in that company can be passionate in the pursuit of excellence in, in doing a particular thing. Mm -hmm. So I really liked the, uh, the beginning section of the book. And the idea of the flywheel is a good uh, aspirational uh, momentum building process I love too. So, you know, when, overall, would you guys rate this book highly? Like, if A, B, or C, any, anyone? Like, like it's if really an A. It, it's, it's an A? 10 out of 10. There's nothing. Like, you can't just yeah. do anything in the book. The research was incredibly yeah. well done. So we have consensus. Um, and it's just a matter of whether it applies, you know, what aspects of it can apply to your life and what type of business uh, you're driving towards uh, for yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. And just adding to that, I was amazed by how well-written it was. Like, it's really easy to read. I mean, you, mm -hmm. can, you can blow through the chapters in, in no time. And so I think that was part of his thinking. The author, Jim Collins, his thinking, too, was not only do I want to do this extensive research and share these findings, but I really want to make it accessible so people can digest this in an easy way. There's no reason. Like, every, I think every executive in, in any company should be read, made to read this book. Well, with the research and the body of work that he did, he was under extra pressure to uh, deliver it with Yeah, with that team that he had behind him and everything like that. And the subject amazing. matter once he knows the principles to enact them himself. So, so basically, Jim Collins used a lot of case studies. So he, he analyzed companies that um, had certain multipliers over market values over a certain period of time. So it's 20, he studied, I think... I forget how exactly how many, but over twelve, a tw yeah, 12 over a twenty or thirty year period that went had uh, average or middling results and went to to greatness. But it's kind of interesting because do you notice how those companies are doing now? Though, yes, right? yes, like, did you yes. guys pick that up in the book? Yeah, like Fannie Mae, uh, Circuit City. Like Fannie Mae went through the. Did, he, he does address it at yeah. the end where it doesn't take away from the principles. So these companies no. met. The strict criteria that he had, I think it was 15 years of beating the market uh, in the mm -hmm. U.S. by more than two and a half times, I think, for the return over a 15-year period, um, having started lower than that. So the, 
concept was a good company to a great company. And the, the principles in order to get that done uh, remain the same, kind of like um, physical fitness and diet. He uses as a simple example that just because you stop your diet and gain a bunch of weight doesn't mean the principles of nutrition right. changed. <laughs> so companies, it's very difficult to remain great. Right. And, you know, business is very volatile and things change. So it's kind of a, it's a, it's kind of a, a nod to that. So I think we provide a really great first impressions. We've unpacked a lot of really interesting um, uh, topics. So what we're going to do is we're going to maybe, I'm going to kind of point out, so I'll, I'll be the, I'll be the dungeon master. <laughs> so this reminds me when I was playing D and D. <laughs> I was like, so I don't have my cardboard cutouts that I can, my story. None of you guys played indie, so um, so um, so I'm just gonna. So we unpacked a lot of different topics. What we're gonna do is we're going to describe the topic. Okay, so I'm gonna point out. Okay, so like like level five leader for example, and I'll ask guy to explain what that is, and maybe how that applies to your business, or how that if that or how that you know how you feel about that, and maybe how that applies to the real estate industry, your business, particularly as an agent. And we'll just kind of go through each one and then we'll kind of do a general consensus at the end because we actually have a lot of topics that we brought up. So we'll start with Guy because mm -hmm. Guy started with the book. And so Level 5 Leadership. So Guy, can you explain what Level 5 Leadership is? Yeah. So Level 5 Leadership, it's uh, taking a leadership to the next level. So it's, it's not just uh, people who are able to take an organization to extreme success, it's a leader who exhibits certain qualities that uh, ensure a company to have long-term success. Um, and what stood out for me was all of these leaders that they studied, um, they were all kind of humble, they had humility, they weren't driven by ego. Right. Um, but they had that the dichotomy of having that, but also this like insane drive, this vision, and and like nothing would stop them from attaining what they wanted. Um, and so I think that really set them aside from the level four leaders, which were also probably very intelligent and very good leaders and visionaries, and they had excellent drive. But there was um, there's a humility, I guess, to the level five leader, which which sets them. Uh, apart from the level four and I think that was important because they weren't getting uh, they were thinking outside of themselves and and as a result of thinking outside of themselves and thinking of of the company and the bigger picture the company was able to survive for much longer wow that's a great definition um, I think he sums it up near the end or a certain point saying that the level five leader isn't concerned with uh, defining himself as a leader with a capital L or demonstrating leadership with a capital L, but is more concerned with the uh, dogged pursuit of results with a capital R uh, for the enterprise, not right. sticking out for his own results. Yeah. Anyone have anything they want to add about how that might apply to their own, like in their own situation? Maybe Ben, you know, as a you know, as a dad, you know, <laughs> like I just because I, I, you know, I'm not a dad, so. But I thought that, like, wow, like, isn't this a great thing for family? I mean, did that did that resonate with you at all? Well, a lot of the time when you think about, like, you know, how this stuff applies, you look at it like, oh, obviously in your personal sense, and thinking about, like, who you are. Well, 
am I that rock star leader or I am this, you know, I have a lot of humility or, you know, able to take stuff in. Um, I'd like to think I'm a level five leader and that, you know, I don't sort of like, you know, like you mentioned the Lee Iacocca is like you come in and you just, this is me and it's going to change by force of will. Yeah. I definitely think I have a more humility, but to achieve that level five thing and to tie that into what you're asking about, like, you know, having kids and passing stuff on, you're building something that needs to last without you. That it's yeah. there, and once you leave, it can still exist, and people still get that sense of it, and it grows, and it's not just going to be done. So without you, there's nothing. Like that's a challenging thing to build, whether it's mm -hmm. family or career or anything, really. I, what I liked was um, that, and he mentions this in, in, in the chapters. He says the level five leaders were more interested in uh, building a great company than their personal brand. Right, and I think that that was a, a big difference. And I, I just thought about this. I, I started thinking about it just in terms of companies or even sports teams, um, just contemporary. And I, I came to the Toronto Raptors. And so I'm just gonna take a little basketball moment here. Sure. And I remember when they the, the year before they they didn't they got knocked they won the championship obviously this spring, but the year before that they got knocked out, and they fired their head coach. And so there were some potential candidates on the open market, big personalities, big names, you know. And what did they do? They went inside the company and hired the assistant coach that nobody was really talking about. Low-key kind of guy, lots of experience, but inside the organization. And actually, that was what happened a lot in with Level 5 leaders is they rose up within the company. Mm. And they weren't parachuted in from the outside. And so when I think in his study, when they did that study... They found that if they if the company went outside to grab one of those big name Lee Iacocca types, it actually correlated with poor results over the long term. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, the book mentions that a lot. Like a company that rises to the top with these like level five leaders, then the competition goes like, oh, they must be doing something right. Let's start plucking out all the lower level. But it's almost like they're too late to the game because a lot of the companies, they don't seem to see in that same trend. Mm -hmm. They're definitely one of the leaders, but they're not the top and they're not beating the market like the book describes to, you know, two or five time multiples. Yeah. What do you think about that, Jenny? You know, you're, you know, uh, leading a team. You just did a, you just did a <laughs> Agent Secrets about this. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I think you have to go in. Thinking that it's um, you have to go with intention that's selfless, not selfish, and and really understanding um, that egos are if you have an ego, it'll just kill the culprit, like the culture spirit, mm -hmm. um, and it, it doesn't really enhance anybody's intention except for yours, really. That's an awesome point. Like, what do you guys think about ego and how that interrupts or gets effects? Uh, business and maybe even your own practice mm -hmm. yeah I actually when I think about that I can't help but think about your sister Arlene mm -hmm. because I, I don't even know if people often you know like they they don't even realize how much she does at Oakwind she really is like as Morgan would say is that backbone of the company like she supports everybody agents partners admin like in that same way and, you know, when they were talking about the, um, the you know, different CEOs and different CEO styles, and you sometimes think you're like, oh, really? That person? Like, you know what I mean? That person's a powerful CEO. But it really is that kind of, that person who has that really rich understanding of absolutely everything and everyone that kind of is that special person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
How about, how, what do you think about that guy? You know, you came from like, you know, from arts and theater and acting, right? So like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, that ego is, you know, that's what people, so like kind of celebrities and actors are known for. So I don't know, do you have a thought I, about that? Yeah, I, I, I didn't have enough success in it to develop an ego. <laughs> <laughs> I just got beaten down by rejection after rejection. And I think it taught me to like, to, yeah, to get kind of be the opposite. <laughs> um, so I, I don't have much ego, I hope, in, in my real estate career. But you know, it's, it's easy to focus on on things that are going to benefit you individually. You know, whether your targets are sales or dollar volumes, as opposed to thinking outside yourself and thinking about, okay, well, why am I doing this beyond you know trying to improve my own life? What, how can I give? How can I be of service? How can I change other people's lives and make a difference and make an impact and actually, you know, change my surroundings in a way that. Um, will 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 surpass my time on earth um and so i think that this this book kind of highlights that that um you know there's something much more to to life than just focusing on one's own um personal improvement uh and certainly all these level five leaders have done that that is a great answer we'll move on now that that'll cap that part um so uh, jenny you want to talk about what the culture of discipline is Developing really good habits and having a positive attitude towards that and really understanding your values, really understanding your values, you know, and, and practicing that every day. Yeah. Anyone have any thoughts about culture of discipline? Ace? Um, yeah. Sorry. Um, I was just kind of uh, trying to remember that one. You're thinking, um, counts They on. said the, um, <laughs> like, what was it kind of straining out the, the was there, a, like, they're talking about cottage cheese, right? Straining it out. Yeah. Um, I think that there's definitely something that to be said about, you know, and even the bus concept of having, like, the right people in the right positions and just making sure that there's that shared value system. And even I'm just thinking about your agent secrets and the things that you said about, uh, about that type of culture and just, you know, making sure, you know, people can bring different things to the table, but their values, um, that's really what culture is about. And when you think about Oakwin, we always talk about our core values too. Um, and that really is that connection that brings people together. And, you know, people can have their own versions of that or their own interpretations and um, way they execute it. But that value is something that's very intrinsic, intrinsic that comes within in your personality and who you are. And it's just the thing that binds everyone. And I think that's what culture mm-hmm. comes from, is values projected. Yeah, the, the section on culture of discipline was, was um, uh, a lot of fun to read. And again, I was thinking about how it plays out in companies that we see today. In the book, the example he gives is, like one example is Philip Morris, like the tobacco company, but they also make other products too, like uh, chips, chocolate, beer, and that. And, that. and um, when back in the 60s, when there was a concern that you know, tobacco smoking would cause uh, harm to your body, uh, the comparison company against Philip Morris started diversifying, doing all these different kinds of things. They bought, I think, an oil field or something like that. Then they bought a couple of ships because they thought about getting in the shipping industry. And the culture of discipline was you got to stay within your sphere of competence. Or in the, like as he talks about, 
this, the three spheres of the hedgehog concept, whatever makes you great. And Philip Morris didn't go out with in this crazy diversification scheme. What they did is they just focused on, I guess, other products within that they're already doing and just making them better. Um, and so that was one. And then I thought about it in, in our time now, and it's, I guess, Amazon's a great example, right? And I guess this guy's actually been, Jeff Bezos is a big Jim Collins guy. Hmm. He's had all the executives read this book. And he's even called them in to um, to the company to work with the executive team to um, really hone in on what Amazon's hedgehog concept was. And they did that back in the early 2000s. And the thing that for them it was, was the more products we have online, the cheaper we make them, the more people visit our site, the more sellers come, the more people visit our site, the more products. And it just, it's this circle, right? The... Um, the um, the flywheel Fly just keeps it just keeps growing bigger and bigger and faster and faster. So I, I thought that was the culture of discipline was just keep like just be so de dog doggedly determined and focused on what you're doing and don't stop. Yeah, and then the system is almost like inertia. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. That's what I was thinking, like all these people coming together. Just I kept thinking about inertia throughout the book and you know how to create that. It's so I feel like that's really hard to do where you're able to step back and it just is able to do it on its own but yeah that's my big take from that too yeah I think so I've been kind of this this section is was really poignant to me because um, you know I think I, I've had this kind of back and forth between I, I don't know if what what your guys's thought are but between the concepts of, of discipline as an independent as an individual and also the concepts of accountability you know, like, so, you know, some, so I've just kind of been playing around with this idea uh, between like discipline and accountability. Um, I don't know, did, have you guys, or do you guys think that's on opposite ends of a spectrum? Or do you guys think of that as being like, um, you know, kind of two different things? Can you explain that more? Sure. So like, obviously, discipline is like the right actions, because you know, what's right to do. Self-discipline is something where you're like, okay, I set out a target, this is the objective, and I'm going to walk in a straight line to achieve the objective. Whereas accountability, it has, you know, it is along the same lines of, okay, there's an objective, but I have lots of checkpoints and lots of ways to check in. Mm -hmm. So because, you know, and it creates a, it's a bit of a, a bit more community oriented. So like, you know, is it on, do you, do you find that it's on opposite sides of a spectrum or is it? Um, or is it kind of two separate things? I don't know if that's like con too like I don't know if I if no, I'm I, like I think I'm yeah picking up what, what I'm trying there. to think. yeah okay, so the way from the concept um, that he talks about in the book of creating a Fortune 100 top company that outperforms the market and then applying it to uh, a solo agent business here in Vancouver right. Um, I think what he's getting at as far as a culture of discipline is picking the right people um, or as a solo agent, picking a career and you know, an area that you uh, don't need to be held accountable for. So the discipline uh, to seek understanding in what you can excel at, what you're passionate at, and, um, and really finding what's going to work for you and having that be the motivation as opposed to an outside accountability coach. Um, so driving towards truly understanding what's going to create a good living for yourself um, and keep you passionate, um, I think is a very worthy goal. Mm -hmm. to talk about. 
Yeah, it's funny. I was actually, I have an, a good example of this from yesterday. Um, my boyfriend and I were at a tattoo shop getting one of his fixed. And um, the tattoo artist was saying, oh, yeah, I'm always really weary of, you know, anyone who's, you know, doing it out of their home and things like that. And not to say that there aren't amazing tattoo artists that do it out of their home and do a great job and are, you know, super by the book and everything like that. But she was pointing out that, you know, when they're able to work in a shop, it demonstrates that they work well with others. There's also an accountability with that. You know, you're not just accountable to yourself or your own name, but you're mm -hmm. accountable to the shop. And, you know, you have certain practices and, you know, like people look at each other's equipment and they, you know, kind of not judge, but push each other to be better and are just accountable for, oh, yeah, I'm changing this. Do you want to get one too? Da, da, da. So like all of those little things that kind of help community. It was just kind of a funny example that I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Totally. Um, were you putting your name on his body? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the person spelled my name wrong. <laughs> I mean, I tried to do that so many times and never worked. Maybe one day. Hopefully they're listening. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, we'll move on to the next thing here. So, um, um, ben, you mentioned the Stockdale Paradox. Do you want to kind of define that for us? And we'll go around and kind of discuss it. Yeah, absolutely. Let me just pull it up here so I get it straight. Um, the Stockdale Paradox, reading from the book, is two-sided. One, you need to retain faith that you will prevail in the end, regardless of the difficulties you face. But then at the same time, confronting the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. And the thing that really struck me about this is, Obviously, when I think about real estate, there's, what, 14,000 plus agents out there. And I'm sure we all think we're going to be the best and we're going to be number one. And that's a long road to go, right? But having that attitude, I think, is you have to have it. But then to flip it over to the other side and be like, are you facing those brutal facts about what your current reality is? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if everybody does that. That's a hard thing to do. And especially for me, obviously, I have ambitions to be number one, starting out, oh, I'm going to be the greatest, all this stuff. The brutal reality right now is it's kind of hard and it's slow. And do I face that every day and still balance it out with being like, to, you know, sorry, balance that off of what you're talking to before? Am I disciplined in getting stuff done? Am I number one? Am I doing these things? That's a hard thing to balance mm -hmm. off. But the thing I like about it is it's on one hand, it's very optimistic. You can be the greatest. You should have that mindset. But then on the other side, keep those brutal things in picture. You can't ignore them. They're to your detriment. Very well said. So I have a personal example that I can relate to real estate for, for the Stockdale paradox. So confronting the brutal facts, but being, you know, maintaining faith that's going to work out in the end. Before I became a realtor, so this is going back to the fall of 2014, and I made the decision in September of 2014. And I remember just thinking to myself, okay, I commit to excellence. I'm going to do this. It's going to work out no matter what. And like yourself, I knew, I knew there was 13, 14,000 realtors, uh, whatever it was, but I, this is just going to work out. And so what I did at that time was I, even six months before I became a realtor, I'd drive around to the different offices in the Lower Mainland and go into their training sessions because some of them will, will offer free training sessions. You'll have like a, a speaker coming in. He's doing a series throughout the weekend, Friday to Sunday night, and I was there learning about real estate, you know, whatever I could to make myself better. And the reason I did that is because I was new to Vancouver. I just come a couple of years before that, so I knew I didn't know anybody, didn't have any high school friends, 
no colleagues, nobody, no family, no one to draw on. So I knew like I was starting the race from behind the start line. Mm-hmm. But it was just confronting those facts that that was my reality, and but I can still make this work. I can it'll still work out. I'll still I can commit to excellence, and I'm just gonna be great at this no matter what. And then I think if you just take those steps, um, you know it does. And you, like you said, have that faith. It, it does work out in the end. But it it, it can be tough <laughs> going through all that. Um, there was one point in the book that talks about X factor. And I would probably have to say that it all, it, it's all about your mindset, really. And, and, and you, if you change your mind about that, you can actually do it. It's whatever you put your mind to, it's limitless and you can accomplish anything. Um, yeah, it's, it's, you're just channeling all that outward and everything will come back to you the way you want it to be. Yeah. yeah. Have you guys ever read uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl? Mm-hmm. Have you? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's a that's actually, a, you know, it's, for me, it's a top ten book. So it's about um, a, a gentleman who um, is going through the Holocaust. Um, it's a it's a Jewish uh, author who's going through the Holocaust, and he recounts his story. And um, obviously, the brutal facts were that he was likely to he was in a concentration camp with his family. They were likely not to survive. He saw his friends, his cousins, his immediate family members going through torture and uh, so is it, it but you know he got to he was determined to survive and he was determined to you know search for meaning in this even in this environment so it's a maybe um, for those of you that haven't read it it's a really good book but it kind of talked about you know I, I thought about when I when I thought about the Stockdale paradox when I was reading it I thought about that book and you know, being really determined um, and being really optimistic towards an outcome is is really important. You know, Elon Musk is really really big on optimism, um, even yeah in search in, in having all the facts. So if you ever listen, like if you want to listen to a really cool, like hopefully you listen to this podcast, but um, <laughs> if you want to listen to a really cool podcast, Elon Musk's podcast uh, with Joe Rogan. If you watch, we're gonna it. reenact that at all today. Or? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's kind of an interesting, um, yeah, it's just a really interesting uh, kind of segue about that optimism of driving towards something, but even regard like knowing the facts. So like even though he knows what's going on with global emissions and stuff like that, he's still built Tesla because he wants to. He's determined to find an optimistic outcome for for our planet, and you know it's, it's really interesting stuff. You know when you when you kind of boil it down, I don't know what everyone's thoughts are there. Actually, I have a different take on the disciplines thought and the culture of discipline, um, and also how it applies to facing what he calls in the book brutal facts. Um, I think an example of that in our business is, you know, it uh, you're going to need to talk to a certain number of people before someone's going to agree to work with you, um, and then when somebody does work with you, you're going to uh, potentially have to do quite a few tasks in order to uh, get a paycheck at the end of the transaction. Uh, So a brutal fact might be the inconvenience of some of those tasks in the middle and just understanding and having the discipline thought uh, to put systems in place to take care of all the elements um, of a transaction that turns into a month or a year um, of your business. I, I kind of like the idea of facing the brutal facts and driving f- towards a 
a beautiful system to run any particular business or endeavor that you're in, as opposed to the brutalness of competition or the market or the difficulties or how some people may or may not have uh, crazy ideas of what, what is possible. So we're going to segue that into, so Keith, so maybe you can explain a little bit about like when, when, um, Jim Collins refers to brutal facts. Like how is like how how does that play out? You know, when when how does that play out in your mind when you've been when you're reading the book? Um, well, the most basic way is um, is this something that I want to be doing in my business? So um, he talks. We haven't covered the hedgehog uh, concept in depth just yet, but uh, driving towards. Um, uh, an endeavor that makes sense to you. So it's possible being a real estate agent um, doesn't make sense for me or anybody else that tries it. Um, so looking at the brutal facts of what's required to have success and making a decision, are you willing to do that? And are you going to be disciplined in the long term um, to gain momentum and be successful in the long term and put the pieces in place um, that's going to allow you to do that? Because if you lose momentum, it's very difficult to get it going again. And he talks also about the flywheel, which I love, mm -hmm. versus the doom loop. And I, uh, I see some doom loop characteristics <laughs> over my last few years in the business uh, that I'll try and avoid in can, the future. Can you explain what the, the, the flywheel and the doom loop is, Keith? Well, the if you could. disciplined people uh, having disciplined thought around what it takes to be successful and not be distracted, um, and taking disciplined actions, um, as well as a level five leader, um, and the other elements of the book that he, uh, or the concepts that he covers. Uh, the idea of the flywheel is that each of these things is pushing a large wheel on an axis a little bit, and one particular action or push doesn't move the flywheel representing success or momentum in your business, but the combination um, of all these actions over a long period of time and generations of trial and error and improvement and the disciplined people making disciplined mm -hmm. actions um, over time will eventually have this wheel move and create a massive momentum. Yeah. And that's uh, moving towards a breakthrough. So a breakthrough might be um, a, you know, an agent that's done very well in this business for 10 or 12 years, gone through a few cycles, built a team, and has the ability to kind of step back and do other activities because they built a machine. Uh, this flywheel is spinning quickly and a little extra push on it keeps it moving and doing very, very well relative to a new agent um, who is trying to move a large uh, wheel uh, with their, only their own action uh, without the benefit of compounded time and knowledge. Something you mentioned, they're compounds, so it's, it's like these compound actions, so it's, it's micro actions or micro decisions, micro thoughts, micro um, ideas, that, kind of, that, that, that compounding effect of small good decisions um, in, in a holistic um, environment where that's kind of at play will we'll drive this flywheel moving that way, but also the doom loop is the exact opposite, all these tiny small bad decisions that we make bad mental uh, mentality that we make you know being a bad leader being a bad you know it, it kind of creates a doom loop which is exactly the opposite of what a flywheel is right keith 
an easy example in this business um, that you hear often with different coaching is um, you prospect or you look for clients, you find some and you have some success where the market picks up and you do very well in a short period of time and you neglect um, your hedgehog concept, which might include consistent prospecting or looking for new business. And then once everything in your pipeline has been fulfilled and they've done their transactions, you look up and you realize that uh, your flywheel has stopped moving, so you're now pushing it um, from a dead stop again because your pipeline is empty. So. Yeah. We're, we're using a lot of jargon here, which is good, <laughs> you know, because we're in a book club right now. We're not on a podcast. Uh, but, you know, so, but, you know, feel free to read the book. It's, it's, really, it's really fantastic. Christian, do you want to explain what the right people on the bus means or who then what means? Well, what they found when they studied, when they looked at these companies that massively outperformed the comparison companies and blew away the market was that they the second the second step in that process after the level five leader is getting the right people um, on the bus, and uh, that that was really it. Instead of the side, so the mistakes that the, the parachute CEOs would do is they, they plan this big vision and say, okay, we're going this way. But actually, they didn't always ask themselves, do we have the right people in place? Do we have the right marketing team? Do we have the right sales people? And what happened in the companies that did really the good to greats is they first said, okay, well, the, the CEO would come in and say, you know, do we have the right people here? And once they had the right people, there was a whole slew of benefits. So one of them, for example, was he didn't, they didn't need to waste time on motivating anybody. And I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I thought that was really interesting. I thought that, you know, one of the jobs of a CEO is to motivate, motivate. And they said, actually, you don't even need that if you have the right people. Mm-hmm. So that, was, that kind of blew me away. And then the second part, I'd love to get your thoughts on this too, was actually vision wasn't that important. And that was really something that kind of, went counter to what I was expecting to find. They said first it was again level five leaders, then get the right people in the right seats on the bus, right? So if someone's a really good marketing person, they have a marketing. If someone's really good at in the accounting section, they should be in the accounting section. And once you have those people in the right on the bus in the right places, then um, then you decide on a direction together, right? And you get their input too. So I thought that was really interesting, especially that part about the vision. I wonder how you guys, what you thought about that. Yeah, on that topic, like the idea of like, you've got this charismatic leader that comes in and they're like, here's my vision. And I think the analogy in the book is like, you hire all these helpers and they help get that vision going. But then as soon as you step away from that, if you're not there to instill that vision by force of, you know, your own will, it's just going to die off. You need to get people that are in there that you know, it's not just here's the vision, it's here's what we're working towards, here's, you know, another part of the book, the hedgehog concept, what are we all focusing on? Not just like, this is the idea and everyone's going to help me as a singular person achieve it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's, that is so important. And I think a lot of agents that are working independently, like everyone here agree that, you know, working independently, it's a pretty lonely business, right? Yeah. 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 Would you say so? Yes. Can we? Yeah. Um, and I, you know, and I've, I've recommended this book to a few agents and they're working on their own and their own independent practice. Like this, this idea doesn't apply to me. Actually, it's all the people in your life. So I don't know how you guys feel, but as a real estate agent, um, 
my life and my business has conglomerated into one like yin yang situation where it's just like it is one so having like the people on your the right people on the bus is like or the right group around you is like colleagues that you have like that we're able to share openly with but it's also like you know your marketing people that you use or it's your photographers it's those people but it's also your closest friends and family and what they are to your business and what they are to your life you know and, and how that kind of applies in a holistic manner so like for example like do you have a yoda figure that's gonna like give you great advice um timely when you need it and show up like obi-wan kenobi or like yoda or do you do you have like you know uh, that um like like kind of accountability partner that person that's gonna be shoulder to shoulder with you like uh Luke Skywalker and Han Solo, they're like, they're, they're like that, you know, if, if I'm to use Star Wars as a, <laughs> you know, we're in the nerdiest office in town, <laughs> I got like my magic cards here, I got my like Dr. Octopus custom uh, drawn artwork, if, as long as you guys don't know that, but, um, and so some other kind of stuff, so, you know, it's, because there's, a, there is a team around you, like, you, you may not think that there's a team around you because you're like, I'm on this on my own. I'm like a solo, you know, and maybe, Guy, you can talk about this a little bit, you know, being a, being an agent. Do you, do you feel like, you know, do you feel that sometimes, that isolation? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I, um, I, I started a long time ago. I started like eight and a half years ago being a, a real estate agent. And uh, I, I started looking at team options and then I met, you know, I was just googling top realtor in Vancouver and uh, and just meeting with these people even if they weren't the top realtor in Vancouver and 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 trying to team up with them and then I think one of them told me ah you seem like a pretty savvy smart guy you should just go on your own and I was like oh all right yeah that kind of stoked my ego a little bit so I, I I've been doing it on my own but you know, if I if I could do it all over again, I would join a team because I think if you have people around you, um, you know, two two people are better than one, three people are better than one, um, and I you know I think I will team up in the future. But I do have you know I don't have other realtors on my team, but I do have other people that I that I work with and and just. Uh, was it yesterday? Just yesterday, I was cl closing a property and um, and handing over the keys, and they were like, "Guy, your team that you have is just amazing. They work so seamlessly together." And they were talking about my it's like my they have one mind. <laughs> <laughs> they were talking about my my lawyer that I work with and my mortgage broker, mm -hmm. and you know, if it was they went to a bank and they just you know they weren't able to to get what they wanted and what they needed but with my mortgage broker they were able to get the house of their dreams and uh and same with uh all of the other people that, that i work with and it's it's so important to have that support because you're not alone you've got so many different you know it's it's not just you out there but yeah it can it can get a little lonely i guess and Moving forward, I'm definitely open to teaming up with other realtors. I really like the idea that he brings up. Uh, I forget which uh, company he was referring to, but they they would always hire people, um, and they look forward to downturns in economic trouble so they could snap up the best people from other companies. And I think 
Michael's idea that the people in your life are also part of your team, uh, leaving space for great people of varying backgrounds and abilities to uh, to be able to bring into your life, I think is really important. And, and focusing on um, the quality of the people that you're spending time with and the energy that they're giving. And, you know, if, if you've got negative people in your life, you have no obligation to... To, to maintain, you know, those kind of negative relationships um, and just, you know, elevate your relationships with the people that, that are around you. The third sentence after uh, level five leader, the right people on the bus in the right seat is get the wrong people off the bus, mm -hmm. which I think is also uh, incredibly important. Mm -hmm. For sure. And just speaking to how important it is to surround yourself with really good people, I remember um, uh, hearing one person say that you are the sum total of the, of the, of the five people you spend the most time with. And I, I thought that was really interesting. So it makes you start to think, oh, who are the five people that I spend the most time with? And how are they me? Right? You want to make sure they're really good people. Uh, and then the second part to that was another interesting thing I heard was that a Harvard Business Review study found that your income will be within 5% above or below the people you spend the most time with. Ooh. And I thought that was really interesting too. And actually, when I heard that, I went and I quit my former job. <laughs> mm -hmm. I thought I might as well hang around people who are you know, doing a little bit better. And it, and it does work because you kind of get pulled up like a, like a magnet to, to the people that you're spending the most time with. So. Shameless plug, but I am looking for more team members <laughs> to join my team. I don't know if this will go public. But as a team lead on the other end, um, it actually like, shuns me. I actually like don't like it when my team members call me boss or manager or anything like that. Because what I feel my role as a team leader is that I'm more of a servant to them. Um, I'm here to provide the tools and eliminate any challenges or eliminate um, any mistakes that they can that they may make that I've made in the past. And so um, where I am in terms of helping them is is giving them the best opportunities because I know they're in this business. A lot of us are in this business to be um, entrepreneurs and be creative and I don't want to take that away from them. Um, and I want them to excel in their business and, su and succeed. So I give them the right tools, provide the right systems in place, and that way they're, they're confronted with the best opportunities available. Um, and if there's multiple good opportunities, then um, they have options. So that's the, so we have one more big topic, which is the hedgehog concept, which is, which Ace is going to explain what that means. Go on, Ace. Okay, yeah. So first of all, awkward. um well that sounds I was um, eating something. <laughs> I couldn't tell. Sorry. Really? Um so first of all, um uh I really like hedgehogs. I think they're really cute, but <laughs> I just was enjoying Key the whole point. hedgehog responses <laughs> part, which I thought was really cute. But um it's based on a essay by by Isaiah Berland. I hope I'm saying that name right. Uh, but it's based on a Greek parable. The fox knows many things, but the hedgehog knows one big thing. So it was kind of asking, 
um, are you a fox or a hedgehog? And, you know, a fox is kind of, in my mind, the, the trivia king, like, knows a little bit about, like, everything and is, is um, you know, knows a lot of details but maybe lacks a bit of purpose of what the meaning behind it all is or what we're really driving towards. And he outlined three circles. Um, so one circle is, what are you deeply passionate about? Uh, and the other circle is, what drives your economic engine? And the third being, what can you be best in the world at? And the three circles that overlap and what? Just Jenny is like eating. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so the mic. If anyone's listening and they're wondering like, what are all these sounds? Where are they? We're cracking uh, bones. We do have, we do have a, a little charcuterie spread that I encourage you guys to yeah, eat and please. enjoy. You know, please. no one minds. Like, some, and then there's also some beer and whiskey and wine out on the table. So if there's any slurring and munching or beers being cracked, that is what it is. Um, but going back to the hedgehog. <laughs> um, so there, there's these three circles. And um, there's an inter overlapping intersection in the middle. Um, and that's where the hedgehog knows that one big thing. So that was my understanding of it, and but um, yeah. Does anyone here have their like maybe their own philosophical hedgehog concept or their hedgehog concept for concept for <laughs> their business? This is actually something that I've been struggling, not struggling with, but being really <laughs> trying to really narrow in, um, especially after reading this book. Um, and, you know, so I'm still, we're still like, uh, and so we, so at Oakland, the, um, the partners uh, go away every, um, uh, we go away and we lock ourselves in a cabin. Ace was there last year. <laughs> Two years, right? Two years, yeah. Yeah, Ace was there a couple years. So um, kind of our... Uh, senior staff and uh, the partners go to uh, like a cabin and we lock ourselves away and we kind of come up with philosophical <laughs> debate and ideas mm -hmm. about you know the direction of the company where we're going to go and what we'd like to do and this is actually one that we're going to be um, that we're going to be discussing as well based on this book club you know uh, uh, topic who, who is the one that um, who, who, who suggested good to great was it Keith? That was Keith. It was Keith? Oh, no, no, it was, yeah, Jenny, Jenny, Keith. Who thought of Shark Tales? <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was our, we did Shark Tales. It was, like, not well-received. Anyways, that's okay. Um, yeah, so we go away. Um, and this is actually something uh, that I've been doing in my personal life for a long time. So since my early 20s, I used to go up and go, like, away alone to just get seclusion and really think about... Um, like existential questions, like big questions that I had that I've been kind of pondering. And I would do that every year. So I'd go like snowboarding or skiing alone um, and really try to get to, you know, ponder some big questions and really set the direction for I, where I wanted to go in uh, – Ace has just stood up and is eating like a hedgehog. <laughs> and hedgehog concept is something that's, you know, it's it's so difficult to try to like pinpoint. And what I've been kind of, you know, and I, I don't want to spoil it or anything like that, but I've been pinpointing the idea of like transforming, like transformation. Because mm -hmm. what I'm deeply passionate about is when I see 
like agents or staff or my friends transform and kind of go from caterpillar to butterfly and being some form of a catalyst for mm -hmm. that transformation mm -hmm. you know so like so that's kind of what i'm deeply passionate about when i see like the turn of a corner or the beginning of a journey or like embarking from the you know to use like a lord of the rings thing like embarking from the shire and then like what can be best in the world i think i can be best in the world at that like that's really what we like want to be best in the world at is like is this idea of like okay how do we be a stimulus and a catalyst for transformation? Mm -hmm. And then it, it can drive our economic engine even as a a realtor or as an agency, a brokerage, or just as a friend, you know, to um, like drive the engine. Because if you act as a some fun form, like for us, like, okay, this, this idea of transformation, and I believe the best way of transformation is through um, education, is through like, mine is through um either technical skills or through um philosophical idealism and and changing that idea changing minds you know i think that that is the biggest driver to like creating transformation in a, in a human life that that's just my own like i just mean fermenting this idea you know so i don't know i don't know what do you guys think about that is it Cheesy, weird, dumb. <laughs> what I wanted to and I just to expand on this, when I was looking at the hedgehog, the three rings, one of the questions I asked myself, he doesn't talk about it in the book, is should you answer one of these questions first, one before the other one? And so and I was just kind of noodling it, and I thought maybe the best question to start off with is, you know, what are you really passionate about? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Because if you're really passionate about it, you can do it 16 hours a day, and eventually you, you'd get good at it, wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And totally. then if you get really it good at it... It doesn't feel like work either. What's when that? When you're passionate about something, it doesn't feel as onerous or... Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I, but I think it's, it's, it does take, and in, in, these, in the case of these, these companies, it took sometimes... 10, 12, 15 years to identify. And this is a whole executive team, right? So it takes time and it's it's good to really kind of think about it. Um, yeah, I can't say that I have a crystal clear um, hedgehog right now, but if, if you guys do, I'd, I'd love to hear yours. To answer Michael's question directly, yes, that's dumb. <laughs> 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 I, I think of Oakwin when I was reading this book, because it's a little more difficult to uh, apply the concepts to a single agent, while I do feel like it is quite relevant, and a great book for that, but um, the idea of searching for understanding in the example of Oakwind, how within the framework of a brokerage that has to follow certain rules and accomplish certain things, can you take steps and actions to help with transformations a little bit more and you know is it going are agents going to be attracted to open if they feel like they're going to be um, put in an environment to flourish and maybe get out of a rut or um, be exposed to different type of people um, i think that will certainly help the economic drivers and the economic denominator um, and i think that's an easy uh, path for passion as well. Um, 
because you're, you know, you're helping people in a different way in an industry that maybe isn't known for that mm -hmm. uh, type of help. So yeah, and just taking small actions every year in your review and monthly, um, how can you uh, move towards being the best in the world at that? And it's not about you know winning the title and getting the belt around your waist, it's about incrementally moving closer and closer or helping more and more people and being more clear about your hedgehog concept and then having the disciplined people uh, that think disciplined thoughts about what you're trying to accomplish and kind of removing the extra, know, extra stuff that doesn't accomplish that. Um, so yeah, great. Not done. <laughs> what drives me is, is um, tapping into to people's potentials. Like, I think um, people put their own limits on themselves and they end up um, not excelling in a lot of the um, a lot of the different um, aspects that they can actually reach out to. And so my vision is a vision, but for them, I, I really want them to have courage outside and step beyond their comfort zone. And what drives me is that just listening to what they're passionate about and giving them those tools to be able to find a certain purpose or cause that they're going to be striving for um, so that they can grow and, and excel. But yeah, my driving force is really just helping them untap to, to potential. That sort of really resonates with me. Um, first off, I'm definitely a fox. And being a hedgehog is a super big challenge. The thought of like what you're saying, like I'm going to give them a vision. They're going to do like one thing. It makes me really nervous. And be like, I'm going to be the best in the world at one thing. It's like, oh gosh, no. Because normally I'm a complete jack of all trades. Like, oh, I can build my own website. I can do my own social media. Oh, the photography? I'll take my own photos. I'm better than this guy. Like, but focusing down, being, no, I'm going to focus on one thing. And this, the, the part that sort of sunk into me is like, okay, best in the world, that's a big thing to be the best at, yeah, you know? Yeah. So I started thinking more about like segmentation. What could I be the best at maybe like locally? Or what would your focus be on? Because within real estate, there's a lot of opportunities to be maybe the best in, let's say, the lower mainland at blank, you know, pre-sales, you know, buyers, whatever that is. So trying to focus in on that. This is still something I'm working on, obviously, like coming up with one. And when you say, like, it takes four years, ten years, like, yeah. I know it's going to take a while. But yeah. having that thought, like, okay, there should be some focus here and having that discipline to key, you know, get rid of extraneous things, that is, you know, a process I'm keen to get on. Yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes it takes a while to streamline. Like you almost, I think it's very, it's not something that's, you know, bad that at certain points you're kind of doing a, lo a lot of things. And then, you know, as time goes on, things can, it's okay for things to narrow in over time. You know, I, I, I think that that's, you're not going to just start out right away and just expert in one field. Like expertise takes time. Is just Mastery to, takes yeah. time. Yeah. <clears throat> in a real estate context, uh, just looking at myself, what I was most passionate about is people. I just love meeting people. I'm just kind of getting to know, oh, what's your story? What's your situation? Why do you want to buy? Or why, do you, why, is, this, why is that important to you? And, and so on. And so what I started to do a lot was open houses because I found that was the easiest way for people just to connect with me or for me to connect with them. And then that tend, 
that turned out to be the biggest driver of my economic engine, right? Which is the third, the third circle, the third ring. And then I just kept doing that over and over and over again. And then you, I would, you know, you'll get those telephone calls where people are pitching, um, you know, lead gen, you know, buy leads online, or you know, do this, uh, you know, create this kind of a website, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I just, I've never really appealed. Uh, that's never appealed to me. I never divert. I just like, oh, I love people. I just want to connect with more and more and more and more. <laughs> so it does kind of work in that in that context. Um, yeah. Just a couple of points, like you know, Ben. I th- I saw Jenny cringe and I cringe at the same time when you like when you mentioned that like why can't you be the best of the world? Like it seems so out of like out of like scope. So there's something that um, I well. You know, it's a quote from Steve Jobs. He said that everything in the world was built by people that are no smarter, more no into more intelligent than you, me, Christian, Ben, Keith, Jenny, Guy, Ace. Eh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm just joking. Like Ace is like super smart, um, but you know, so. You, that there's an optimism that is really really important and when we talked about like the the stockdale part paradox like the the determination to to venture into the most optimistic outcome is 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 something that is a very important aspect of of great business and not only great business but a great life um and i feel that you know trying to not limit yourself from from thinking in that perspective is really is 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 a key to not to have potentially the expectation that you're gonna do these amazing things, but but it's the pursuit of those things, you know. Okay, yeah. Let me just add on to that. To me, obviously, like being new, that's a big concept right. that you wrestle with, right? There's so many people who've been in longer. There's all these things. You can find all these excuses. If it happens, that's fantastic. But I like to think going back to the very start, like a level five leader having a humility, that's not the end goal here. Like I'm not doing this to like drive a fancy car. I'm not doing this to have a certain number in my bank account. It really comes down to like, I enjoy the process and I hope people enjoy working with me as we go through that process. Mm -hmm. The end goal being like, oh, I need to be number one, number this. That's just not what drives me. Um, I don't want to make it sound like I wouldn't pursue it. And if it happened, I wouldn't be grateful for it. But that's definitely not for me. That's not the end goal at all. No, that, that, and that's fantastic. And that mentality definitely is going to serve you uh, extraordinarily well. Um, and, you know, not to be controversial, but, I, you know, I think that that's, um, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the right mentality. And those are the it's, – it's interesting because we get to meet so many new realtors – like so, Ben has been less than a year now. No, oh, nine months. Nine months. We get to meet so many realtors, um, new realtors, and um, I. One of the first questions is, "Why did you start in real estate?" And I remember meeting with Ben, and he wanted to do a really great service for people, <coughs> like human beings. He wanted to help human beings. He wanted to help them to move on in their lives and stuff like that. But a lot of agents, you know. They may say that, but they maybe don't mean it. But a lot of agents say, like, you know, the market's really hot. It's a great time. Like, I felt like I want to get it. And I'm like, you know, I, I always know that there's there, there, th- that is the agent. And, and every time I heard that and, you know, um, and we've made mistakes before where we've kind of said, okay, well, you know, let's, sure, let's give it a shot, you know. 
um, never worked out. But in every single time where they're like earnestly thinking about um, how can they serve the public better, how can they improve um, their uh, you know their processes and so on and so forth, those are the ones that stick it out. They do really well. They create a legacy of excellence in their business, which creates a referral engine and which creates this ecosystem within their business. And they just do phenomenally well in the long term. And I think that that attitude will serve you extraordinarily well. Mm -hmm. And there's different interpretations about being the best and what, um, you know, maybe it's about, you know, like you said, Ben, egoless. Like maybe it's about what can I do to be the best in the world for my client for this transaction? You know, it, or how can I give the best service possible? for these people that I care about and, you know, loving the people that you're working with and serving them genuinely. Yeah. I think sometimes like turning that question around and asking like, not the best for me, but the best for you too. And like how you can be really proud at the end of the day of, you know, for this transaction, this person, um, my client base, my family is sometimes a good question too. I'd hire Ben as my realtor because that <laughs> really, I mean, it shows there's excellence and competence in, in his business. Mm -hmm. yeah. For myself, I've always been a rule breaker. I'm a rebel. So it's like, what can I do next? What can I do next? What can I do next? Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I understand how this works, but you know what? I want to learn more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. So, Let's all hire Ben. <laughs> We're, okay, so, you know, it's funny, you know, this thing, it just goes by so fast, especially, you know, everyone here has had such amazing uh, input and such amazing perspectives, and that's the thing, you know, so when we do book club, what I love the most is something called triangulation, so I only can see things from my own perspective, and, and you know, I get, I got the perspective of Ben and Keith and Christian and Jenny and Guy and Ace, and they're like amazingly intelligent people, way smarter than myself. And they're, they're really, really like pretty fantastic um, points of view. So maybe what we can do is we can all go around. We'll just do this is kind of to wrap it up for, for good to great. Um, what was the most poignant thing to you and how you will apply it? You know, now we're going to talk to the hundreds of listeners we have <laughs> as well. Um, so how we're going to apply it in our own lives. So what is the number one? And we're going to do popcorn style. So I don't want to like, like kind of, so what's one of the one principles is one of the one things you're going to get from this particular read that you're going to apply to your business, your life. So what's that going to be? Keith. I think uh, a good theme for me in this book is the difference between somebody who is going to show up for a job uh, for maybe an hourly rate or do the minimum required to keep the job in advance or do what they want to get done. Um, so the pursuit of greatness, uh, as Ben mentioned, doesn't have to be striving to be number one in the world, but just incremental growth and improving processes uh, day by day to just feel better about what you're doing and, and move from uh, maybe less than good through good and towards great. So just striving for something a little, a little bit better in your business. Okay, there's there's two for me. The first one is that if I'm going to do a partnership in real estate, um, what I would do is not look 
to someone who I want to like really lift up. Because that's the thing that I've I've done a lot in my you know even with the clients that I've met you know I've met someone I was like oh if I just kind of lift them up if I encourage them and if anything this book taught me actually they need to be ready and so and they have to be motivated themselves so I think just in terms of my business I guess especially with clients it's just you know they've got to be ready and I kind of have been doing that already the last year but in the early years I was just anybody who was just kind of close to. <laughs> You know, I just like, come on, you can do it. You know, we can get you your first home. It's all right. And we'll, we'll write out a budget and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, and then the second thing that I really like, that just pops into my mind is he has a little bit at the end about not doing things out of fear. And some like the example was, you know, companies would see another company, you know, selling online and then they'd, they'd change their business model and they'd do it out of fear. And it never worked in the end. And so I think as, as realtors, sometimes you can, you know, we will be um, marketed to, you know, oh, do this, use this lead gen site, use that one. And, and you, you know, you think, oh, well, Ben's doing it or, or Keith's doing it. I better do it too. And actually, it, if it doesn't feel right, you really shouldn't do it. It's, it's, it's got to feel right. And I think your, your gut, your intuition tells you whether it's right. So those are the, the, the two that, um, uh, that uh, stick to my, are in my mind. For me is, you know, I've had to fire people in my life, in my career, and it's not a very good feeling. So lesson learned is hiring the right people. And the moment you feel that you need to tightly manage them, you've actually hired the wrong person. Mm -hmm. um, the best people don't need to be managed. And you want to build a company and system that outlasts you. So putting the right, the right tools and and making it work without you being there is probably one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is, is hiring the right people um, with the right attitude. Yeah, I would say, um, I think, you know, being a, a level five leader is, is partially about being selfless. And I think um, I'm gonna focus more on being being of service to other people, whether they're my clients or my friends or my family, and just finding out what it is they need and how can I help, how can I help fill that. Um, and another lesson that I learned is um, to be a team player and to develop a team and that, um, you know, uh, you're much more effective having other people to, to, to bring you up and, and support you. And uh, so yeah, I'll be I'll be bringing on other people, other support staff, in order to help take my business to the next level, so I can be of service to more people. I'll, I'll go. <laughs> um, my probably biggest takeaway is going to be the idea of discipline, the discipline to narrow focus down to a hedgehog concept, the discipline to stay inside those three circles and focus, the discipline. I don't think we got into this. The the opposite of a to-do list, having a to-don't list, mm -hmm. all these type of things yeah. are like, it's just such a good refresher. And when I think back to like book club, like, oh, I never reread books. And I know Michael, you always say, I read this book every year. And I'm like, how could you possibly do that? Now I'm like, good to great. Absolutely. I'm going to stick with this. This will be one I refer back to mm -hmm. because these principles are, they're just hitting home right now for me. So hopefully I have the discipline to read it again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, I think my takeaways are, one big takeaway for me was um, learning that being egoless, especially when you're creating systems, can create that inertia, that those systems that run themselves, and always think about that in your exit too. 
Um, and then also, you know, I think one thing is, is um, and I've definitely felt this in the past, maybe being pressured to hire um, and to just fill the role. It's so hard finding the right person. It's like almost like finding someone that you're going to be married to. You know, yeah. and even sometimes yeah. you marry someone and, you know, they're great for a while and, and it, it, but it doesn't work out long term or you, you, there's changes and, you know, it's really hard. Yeah. It, 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 hiring is really hard and it's not something that should be taken lightly. Yeah. And um, because you have to find that magical person that aligns with your values and your, you know, all of these things. And yeah, so, is it, you know, sometimes you have to like fill a role because there's a need and everything like that. But it's not necessarily the right thing. So, you know, I think one big thing is I'm going to stick to my guns a little bit more in terms of, like, sometimes being like, we can't right now. The person's not there. Fate, time, and magic have not brought us together. So we need to keep looking because it's just an energy suck. Yeah. You brought up marriage, and my wife uh, said today before I left, she doesn't know that I'm not coming just to do a tea party to get out of doing bedtime <laughs> so thanks michael for setting up microphones uh, yeah. the entire podcast we'll back over a year a video proof that we don't here. have a tea party once a month. Um, that's awesome so yeah you know i i feel so grateful that uh, all of us have been able to come here together and discuss a book and ideas and um you know and get together to um to 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 look at different perspectives on on the same text, which is really cool. So, uh, for good to great in myself, I think, um, you know, without getting too mushy or anything, I, I love Oakwin. I, I love Oakwin. I love the uh, agents that uh, are in the office, and I love the staff that we get to work with every day. And I just uh, want to provide the best, um, like just to be of use to everybody that I can, that I interact with. And I think that that's very important to me. Like Ace and I have joked about like just the, like I have this obsession of being useful. I just want to be useful. I don't care about anything else. I just want to be useful. And so, and my favorite characters in books are never the heroes. It's always like Gandalf or Yoda or Jiminy Cricket or Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's never the hero. So I always like to, potentially be like the, the side character in someone's heroic journey. And so that's always been like very um, impactful to me. So, and when I kind of thought about the level five leader, it was really, it really was reminiscent of like my favorite characters in, in um, like it's kind of like um, Morgan Freeman in the, the Dagger Vance and like, you know, and Morpheus in, in, um, in Matrix, I, I don't think I'm like Neo or like the or Frodo. I think I'm like Gandalf, <laughs> so like, and I want to like help people in this like amazing journey that they're about to embark on, and that's like something that you know I think um, a level five leader helps people to do. So that was what really kind of uh, was poignant to me in the book, and um, it helped me a lot because I had a lot of misconceptions about leadership. Um, where you kind of had to be this extraordinarily charismatic uh, Winston Churchill type figure, or because I look like, and I think those guys are super cool. But you know, in in real in reality, it's um, being a, an amazing facilitator and um, kind of being 
the John Stockton or the like uh, uh, Christian was mentioning basketball like and that's his old school basketball but like being like John Stockton setting people up like why did you point to me with old school basketball? <laughs> <laughs> I was a big Malone fan. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a Stockton fan, so I'll pass the ball to you, Keith. And on that note, uh, thank you for listening to the Michael You podcast. This was a really interesting one. I really thought it was it was really well done. So on behalf of Ben Loyal, on behalf of Keith Winnermans, Christian But Butzek, right? Did I pronounce that yeah, right? You got it pretty good, yeah. Oh, what is it? What's Butzek. Butzek. Yeah. Jenny Woon, uh, Guy Christy, Ace, and myself. Thank you guys so much for listening. <laughs> I'm really good with first names, but maybe not so good with last names. <laughs> okay, thanks for listening. Rate it 5 out of 5. Leave a comment, all that other stuff. Yeah, great.